RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so glad that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And there's not going to be much of an open in me talking and saying uh, a million times because, ladies and gentlemen, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I have been trying to get Jay Lethal on this podcast for over two years unsuccessfully, and I uh, was able to get him to do it. And so it was probably one of the more entertaining conversations I've had in doing this for three years, definitely up in the top two or three. So without further ado, as I always say, let's go to my conversation with former two-time Ring of Honor champion, six-time X Division champion, currently one half of the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, Jay Lethal. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week on City Ringside has quite a resume. He's a six-time TNA X Division champion, a two-time Ring of Honor world champion, and is currently one half of the Ring of Honor tag team champions. And I do understand that you recently reconvened Ring of Honor, and we're going to see some new products, so we'll be talking about that with my guest. He's also the owner of the Tampa Bay Pro Wrestling Lethal Academy and the participant in my favorite TNA segment in the history of the promotion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Jay Lethal. Jay, wow. welcome wow. to the what, what an intro. I, I feel like it might all be downhill from there. Uh, you know, one thing that I could do is, you know, <laughs> I don't have very many talent sets, but one thing I could do is intros. <laughs> <laughs> How, how's it going? Thank you for that intro, by the way. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's, it's uh, nice to finally be on the show. Yeah, yeah. I only had to deliver like a, a three suitcases of uh, gear for people. That's a whole other story. I, I don't think I don't. I'm not sure how many people listening know, but uh, you know, behind the scenes story. Uh, Penzer and I have known each other for years, um, and especially around uh, when Ring of Honor and New Japan did the joint venture in Madison Square Garden. Ever since then, uh, he is. I'm not going to say begged, but uh, there's always been an invite onto the show, and it just it has never worked out. AKA, I've never accepted it and said, "Okay, let's do it." Uh, my fault. Uh, but finally, as as luck would have it, the the stars have aligned, uh, and now I've I've uh, I've got the opportunity and the time uh, to be on the show. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for not giving up on me all those times because you could have just said, "You know what, Jay, screw you." Uh, but you didn't, and uh, I appreciate that. Thank you very well, much. I almost did, and then we had such a great conversation in Madison Square Garden uh, uh, for another event, um, another product. And uh, so then I, I was like, if I could just get him on the phone, just get him in front of him, he has a story to tell and is entertaining as heck. So, so, oh. so that that discussion we had in uh, MSG uh, revamped, and and I and I realized that. I, I have to book you through a third party, which is, uh, has, has worked fantastically. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I feel like we have to share that story now. Um, this is a, you know, you did a favor for a favor for my friend um, who needed a favor. And uh, this is a return of the favor, kind of, um, I guess you could say. I don't know. You, you may have to fill them in on the story. Well, um you know, Slammiversary was uh, a few months ago, and uh, most of the talent had new uh, 
new gear uh, made and for that show because it was a big show, big event. And the girl who makes the gear, um, she lives in Tampa. Fantastic gear, by the way. Excuse me? Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. How can we how can we plug her? Does she have like a website or something? She she does. It's byjolene.com. B-Y-J-O-L-E-N-E.com. By Jolene. So Jolene, who's been with TN, she used to make um make uh, the outfits back in the day when I first started. So she's been around forever. And uh, she lives in Tampa and um Usually, I guess Gail Kim brings up the the outfits and the 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 stuff, and Gail wasn't going to be able to make that show, so I was the only one leaving from Tampa, so I had to pack an extra huge suitcase and a half so that half the roster could get their stuff. And as I was texting her, trying to set up meeting her at the airport uh, in the morning. Uh, because it was easier for her to get to the airport than to come to my house the night before. And she was up all night making the outfits. So, um, I don't know, too much inside baseball, Jay? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I ramble, so I apologize. Well, but, well, um, well what I want to know is the, the short version is you delivered the gear for a great friend of mine, and uh, this was repayment. But what I, what I want to know, and they probably want to know, is uh, all the gear you delivered, I think they all owe you a favor too. So w- what are you going to be collecting from them? Oh, they, they, they're all going to be on this podcast or <laughs> if they haven't already. It's all about the podcast, man. It's all, and quite frankly, it's one of the only things I got going in the middle of a pandemic. So, um, I got to, got to focus on it anyway. The, the ironic part is I had no idea you guys were friends. We were texting back and forth and she happened to say, Oh, by the way, I just talked to Jay lethal. And I'm like, aha, now I know how you could get uh, payback to favor. And she did. And we're here. And we told the story. So go to, if you uh, are a wrestler or somebody that's looking for gear, go to buy byjolene.com. And she's done my gear for, for as long as I can remember. And, you know, half the time I don't even have, you know, I, most people think I got great ideas or I'm very creative, especially after uh you know, watching some of the things that I've been able to do. Um, but I, I don't when it comes to gear. So I just tell her, hey, I need something. And then she whips something up for me. Yeah, she does a fantastic job. You can't stick around this business for 15, 20 years uh, unless you do a, a, a kick, you know, a job. And especially the fact that these people trusted her enough that they trusted her to create this gear and and uh, take it you know, without seeing it, without trying it on and wore it on what what uh, could have been one of the biggest pay-per-views in the history of Impact Wrestling and certainly this year. So uh, now now that we've put her over, we've yes, we're done with her. Thank you, Jolene. You paid off the favor. Jay Lethal's here. <laughs> now let's talk some wrestling. And I'm sure, you know, I always, I, I like to ask uh, our get my guest, um because usually everybody that's so passionate about this business were wrestling fans. And I'm, I'm almost positive that the answer to this question is yes, but just to uh, get it out of the way, when, when did you start watching wrestling? Oh, man, I hated wrestling my entire life. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I I can remember watching wrestling. Man, it's, it's the first memory I have as a kid. Wow. When I think back as far as I possibly can think, the first memory I have is um, – sitting in my mom's room, my parents' room with my brother. She had a nice TV in there. Uh, and we would watch X-Men. And then when X-Men would go off, WWF would come on. Um, and that's the earliest memory I have ever in life. Um, wow. So I've, I've loved wrestling ever since I can remember. Who, who were some of your favorites growing up? 
Uh, hands down, the two most notable, Ric Flair and the Macho Man, of course. Uh, but I loved Bret Hart. You know, the funny part is, uh, you know, in some circles, you were either a Bret Hart fan or a Shawn Michaels fan. It was rare to be both. Uh, I was uh, a Bret Hart fan. I, I also loved The Ultimate Warrior. Um, he was one of my favorites. Uh, moving forward, um, I did fall in love with uh, The Brain Busters. Um, but that was only after I got into wrestling and went back and watched some of the older stuff. Of course, you know, my brother loved Stone Cold Steve Austin, which mean I loved him. And we loved Goldberg and all the big all the big hits. But uh, the, the main two were Savage and Flair. I remember when I first saw Randy Savage, uh, my brother had gone to the bathroom and I remember seeing him on the screen. I remember thinking, who is this? Just a colorful outfit. And I couldn't wait till my brother came back into the room so that I could ask him who this man was. Um, but yeah. I, I also think it's the greatest entrance music of all time, but that's my opinion. And I've, I've, uh, I've people on Twitter have taken me up on that and uh, everybody has their own favorite, but I, I think pop and circumstance to me, uh, it, it, you know, I got an honor. I was honored to introduce, um, Randy uh, hundreds of times and and then later you you know paying tribute to Randy with pop and circumstance and it, it, it gave me the music gave me goosebumps every time so. really see I to be honest is that that theme never really did it for me it didn't really it, make me want to you know strap up a pair of boots and get in the ring and start fighting like like real American did yeah I, I pop I put that on Twitter one time and like like I didn't realize how many people actually pay attention to what I say because every everybody has their own favorite and very few agreed that it was pop and circumstance. But I'm going to stick by that. But hey, well, everybody's hey. everybody's entitled to their opinion. God bless them, and uh, there's no wrong answer, quite frankly. Right, there's no wrong answer. You're you're 100 right. Yeah. For me, I I I like the ones the songs that make me really want to strap up a pair of boots or throw on some gear and hop in the ring. Um, and, and the pomp and circumstance, you know, that I just feel like putting on the graduation gown and <laughs> and then going out to eat with my family afterwards for a job well done. There you go. Um, so uh, at what point do you decide this is what I want to do? This is, you know, obviously well, you love it. You grow up a huge fan, but a lot of people grow up huge fans and they don't end up uh, headlining Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, so. So, so I'm wondering at what point you decide, you know what, I'm going to give this thing a try. Well, I guess the, I guess the way to answer that one is, uh, so I always, it's always been something that I wanted to do. I can remember playing with my action figures underneath the kitchen table, using the, the chair seat as the top rope, uh, while my mom was cooking. I remember every chore that I did where I would if I was able to get some money for doing a specific chore, that they would take me to Kmart. They knew exactly what I wanted. They'd take me to Kmart into the wrestling section. So many times, if I got a couple extra dollars, my brother would take me. Every report I ever wrote on in school where I had the option to pick the subject uh, was about wrestling. So I like to think that I knew back then that that's what I wanted to do. But it wasn't until I went to an indie show um, by Jersey All Pro Wrestling uh, and at intermission, because Tough Enough was the big thing at the time on television, at intermission, they said, we're going to have a contest um, just like you see on Tough Enough. And the winner of the contest, we're going to pick three winners. And and uh, if you win, we're going to train you to be a wrestler for free. Now, I had been going to the Jersey Opera Wrestling shows 
for maybe two years up until that time, not continuously, but every once in a while, me and my buddies would go. Um, and when, when they made this announcement, it was like, you know, the clouds parting in that ray of sunshine and the spotlight just on me. And you, you hear that heavenly music. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. And that, that right then is when I said, this is my chance. Like this, I can't believe it. This is like really going to, this is for real. This is my chances. It's not just me dreaming and saying one day I'm going to, this is my chance. So I had to go home and convince my parents to let me, uh, let me do it. My dad was on board right away. He didn't say yes right away, but I could tell my mom was a little worried. Um, they never gave me the hard no, but, um, I think they let me sweat it out for a day or so. Then my dad took off work and took me to the contest. But that right then and there, that's when it, I was like, wow, this is this is real. I have a real chance to do this. And how, how old were you at this point? I was 15 years old. Wow. I didn't realize. I would have said 17, 18. Uh, wow. For yeah. a young 15-year-old uh, wrestling fan gets his opportunity. That's a great story. Had you, my, you know. My age, gonna, my age was part of the problem, Penzer. Um, uh, because. I mean, uh, some people would know. I'm not sure how many people, but um, I was one of the winners of the contest, but not originally. They picked three winners, and I wasn't one of them. And I remember as I was walking towards my dad, who was sitting in the back, and I felt so down because he had taken off work to take me. He had, he had had work for a half day and took off the rest of the day to take me to this, and he sat in the back the whole time. But before I got all the way to him, um, they made an announcement and said, we weren't going to pick him because he's so young, but we're going to take a chance and add a fourth winner. Uh, and that was me. So my age almost uh, cost me a chance there. So you get that opportunity, but um, as legend has it, uh, you killed the Jersey All-Pro Wrestling School because uh, according to uh, uh, information on the Internet, uh, you got a lifetime uh, membership to train there, and they closed six months later. Uh, talk to me about that. That has to be a head, you know what? <laughs> yeah, especially uh, especially for a fifteen year old. You know, I got the rest of my life to train here. Well, six months later, well, you do, but we closed. <laughs> Sorry, see you later. Well, uh, I I think what the goal of that contest was was to. You know, you pick some winners, but then ultimately the people who did come for the contest are going to realize that there's a school in town and they would sign up um, and pay. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. So there was no new money coming in. So I, there was it was no choice but to shut it down. They wanted to. But I remember when it was shutting down, Fat Frank said, don't worry, you're, you're, you're pretty much done with training anyway. You're going to be on the shows. We'll start you on the student shows, but uh, don't worry. And I remember I was so excited. My dad was a little upset. He's like, hey, you won this contest. <laughs> How fair is that? Uh, but Fat Frank, he, he took great care of me, man. He made sure I was on those student shows. And then he put me on the actual show. And I remember after the show thinking, I just, I something's missing, man. I, I'm not ready for this yet. I Their school closed down, sure, but I'm missing something. And it, as luck would have it, the two friends of mine who joined the contest with me who didn't make it, they found another wrestling school in Long Island, New York, um, being trained by Mikey Whipwreck. So when the school closed down and I did that show and I said, whoa, I'm not ready. I need, I'm, there's a lot I don't know. I actually started training with Mikey Whipwreck uh, simultaneously while being on those Jersey all Wrestling student shows. Um, so yeah, I mean that was that was a journey in itself. 
I was still in high school. So when that final bell rung, me and my buddies would have to run to the train station because if we didn't catch that train, we wouldn't make practice because we had to take the train into uh, Penn Station, New York, and then a two-hour train to the last stop in Long Island uh, called Ronkonkoma. And if we didn't catch that first train, we wouldn't have made it. So we had to run. So that was every Tuesday and Thursday, which was kind of wild. And I remember doing my homework on the train because if I didn't get my homework done, then uh, all this would have been for nothing because my parents, that was one of the rules that they had set upon me. You got to make sure that your school doesn't slip. Sure. So have you ever, uh, interesting question, have you ever really done anything else in your life other than be a professional wrestler? You want to know something? That's a great question because after I got out of high school, um, I'm already an active wrestler, but what, making $25, $30 sometimes, uh, even though, you know, the drive was maybe five, six hours. Yeah. Uh, so th- my parents, my dad was like, oh, he was a big wrestling fan. So he was kind of cool with it as long as it didn't get too expensive. And there was only one point in time where he said, you know, this, you may have to get a job. And uh, my older brother, who was working at this liquor store, I won't say the name of it, but um, I wasn't old enough to be working in a liquor store, but he was able to convince them. He said, my little brother needs a job. He probably won't be there long. Um, can we give them a job? So they put me in way in the back of the basement somewhere. So I never even saw customers because obviously I wasn't old enough to be even working there. But um, And I worked there, Penzer, believe it or not, for about eight days. And I said, <laughs> no, that I, can't, I can't do this. So I've only ever had a job outside of wrestling for eight days. Wow. Well, that doesn't suck. You get to do what you love for your entire life, and and oh my God. It, you know, without without blowing smoke, one of the reasons is because you're so talented and so so good at it. And, uh, and speaking of that, uh, I was looking at some of the talent on those early Jersey All Pro wrestling shows, and and it looks like the so much of that talent that was working back then when you first started and you were breaking in. Um, it's kind of dominating the, the the entire business in 2020. How how right. crazy is that? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I think helped me grow was um, at a very early age, I was exposed to guys like Homicide, guys like Low Key, who ran. They pretty much ran that Jersey All Pro. So think about the fact that someone just got into the wrestling business and they're getting to work with, train with and be around people who are considered to be legends now, like Low Key and Homicide. And they have so many guys come in and then that transitioned into only a year and a half into wrestling, me getting into ring of honor uh, because pretty much all those guys at Jersey all pro worked and helped start ring of honor guys like, I mean, low key and homicide and uh, the hit squad. And, oh man, just, I, I, I couldn't have picked one, a better time to get into the wrestling business two a better place. I mean, that Northeast, if you can start your wrestling career in the Northeast, it, it, it is a blessing because there's so many wrestling shows around. Um, I couldn't have picked the right company. Um, I mean, that, that Jersey All-Pro just bled right into Ring of Honor because they were using the same people. I mean, I really, Penzer, consider my wrestling career to, to be compared to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where Charlie wins that golden ticket uh, and just – He's in the right place, right time, buys that ticket when he didn't think 
he buys that chocolate bar when he didn't think he'd win and man and now he's the owner of the chocolate factory just a dream come true um i really won the lottery here one of my favorite movies of all time it's, it's my favorite movie yeah, great, great, great movie. If, if you young people, if you have that listen to the podcast, if you haven't watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, by God, uh, it's so easy to watch these things now. You know, in the old days, uh, you had to go out to uh, to um, Blockbuster and rent, you know, VHS movies. But uh, yes, yeah. you, make sure make sure you watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and not Charlie uh, and the yes. Chocolate factory there's a big difference the the second one which is charlie and chocolate factory uh that one's with johnny depp johnny depp's a great guy i just didn't really like that movie but the original with gene wilder and i don't know if you know this there's a little i don't want to spoil it but i'll let you do your own research but there's a very specific reason why the movie wasn't originally called charlie and the chocolate factory um which i found out years ago which i thought was interesting but um yeah, if you like that movie, look up why they didn't call it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm writing that down as we speak. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned Ring of Honor being an extension of uh, Jersey All Pro Wrestling because I specifically wrote down here at my notes, Ring of Honor 2003 to 2006, uh, JAPW on a bigger platform. So basically my hunch was right. It, it was basically just uh, the, the, the core of that company uh being able to take it to the next level correct correct and i was so fortunate enough to be working for them too um i remember uh, the person who actually pulled the trigger so to speak and, and got me to talk to ring of honor was the hit squad at the time they said oh we're working at um ring of honor and they use pretty much all the guys at jersey opera you want me to put in a good word or you want me to talk to them i said sure and then as luck would have it, only a year and a half to barely two years wrestling, I'm in Ring of Honor in a dark match getting destroyed by homicide. Uh, and and yeah, the rest is history. That's really started the ball rolling. And then again, look at this, Benzer. I've only been wrestling for about a year and a half to two years, and I'm working with guys like CM Punk, guys like the American Dragon, Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, depending on when you met him. Uh, guys like Xavier and Spanky and Paul London. Guys like Chad Collier and, and BJ Whitmer. I mean, it was, I man, just the amount of knowledge I was able to get from a very short period of time from these guys who are now legit legends in the wrestling business. Guys like Samoa Joe, who took a liking to me and, taught me so much of what I know in and out of the ring. And we kind of did an angle out of that, but that was real life stuff. He really showed some interest in me. And I can't understand for the life of me why, uh, but we became great friends and he really put me under his wing. I just, man, I couldn't have been more lucky. I really couldn't have. So you're in Ring of Honor with a, a cast of characters that you are very familiar with, that you basically, quote unquote, grew up with. Um, wh why the decision to go to uh, TNA? Okay, cool. That. Uh, so, by the way, while I'm at Ring of Honor, I, I wrestle guys like CM Punk, and I come in the locker room, and to me, I'm thinking, did, did I... Did, am I tricking someone? I don't belong here. <laughs> These guys are light years ahead of me. I, I, I really don't understand what I'm doing here. So I must have slipped through the cracks. Um, so 
going forward a little more, they do an angle out of Samoa Joe taking me under his wing, which had really happened. So they made an angle out of it on Ring of Honor. Um, so while I'm doing that, they do an angle where I turn on Samoa Joe and I wrestle him in New York City. Now, at the time, Impact Wrestling had kind of just became mainstream and they had just moved to Orlando and they're, I think they're gearing up to be on Spike TV or they are on Spike TV. Uh, either way, they've got Samoa Joe on there just burning through everyone in the X division. Um, just, I mean, the, right before I went there, they brought in Liger and Samoa Joe just destroyed Liger. I remember thinking, oh my God. So after I had a match with Samoa Joe in New York, I, what I like to think happened is uh, someone at Impact Wrestling, who I'm, I think I heard was Jeremy Borash, said, oh, this that was a good match. Do you want to come to Impact Wrestling and try that? And I said, of course, sure. I'm going to go and have that style of match that I just had, where Joe is very kind and lets me do a lot of bad things to him. Um, and that way I get to look good in front of a TV audience, of course. Not thinking and remembering that Joe is there just destroying everybody that steps in the <laughs> ring with him. So I go there with these high hopes of having this great match with him. And then, of course, uh, they tell me it's pretty much just a squash match, which I wasn't defeated about. I, I just had the wrong idea, which I was more than happy with uh, getting destroyed by Samoa Joe. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, Penzer, but it was supposed to be 100% Joe and 0% me. Um, and I think... I remember Samoa Joe actually getting in trouble because, well, not so much trouble, but they had a stern talking to him because they he, he had let me do a little bit more than they wanted. Um, and I feel like that is what actually got me a job. Um, so, yeah, after my match with Samoa Joe, I uh, had a talk with Terry Taylor pretty much a little later in the locker room, and then they offered me a contract. It was I don't think they would have done that had it been – had Samoa Joe gone to the ring and done what they wanted, which was uh, I get absolutely zero offense at all. So a lot of my career is credited to Samoa Joe. And, and you are correct. According to Wikipedia, which is always right, we all know that, uh, it was Jeremy Boras, for better or for worse, uh, that uh, was your codicil to – uh, the TNA wrestling at the time. So Wikipedia knows all. Do me a favor. What does it say for my birthday? Because for years, you know, every wrestler looks on Wikipedia. If you don't search your name and you're a wrestler, I don't know what's wrong with you or you're lying or you're hiding it. Uh, but yeah, the, for a long time, they've always had my birthday wrong. It's April 29th is my real birthday, but I think they have on the, the 27th or something. Yeah, they had that I was born in Atlanta. Um, I'm, I'm looking right now. But, <laughs> They had that. They had that. I was born in Atlanta. Now I'm not looking at my thing. I'm looking at your deal. April 29th, 1985. Oh, 85, 85. Yeah, I'm only 35. That's. I was gonna. You know, when you were talking about really cool th uh, theme music, I was gonna mention one of the one of the um, uh, ones that people forget about because they didn't roll with it for very long was when Hulk Hogan first came into WWE and was coming out to eye of the tiger, which as a little kid, I used to, you know, put eye of the tiger on and pretend that I was Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, could do his entrance, you know, pointing at everybody. And I was going to ask you if you remembered that, but you were only one. So I, I don't, I do not remember that. I'm sorry to tell okay, you. Now there are, there have been some tapes of on, on Twitter that have surfaced of, uh, 
him coming out to Eye of the Tiger. So now it's one of my goals. I'm going to write this right under Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> is to find you uh, Hulk coming out to Eye of the Tiger so you could relive your um, your toddler days. But to be honest, there, there's a lot that happened in the wrestling business before my time that I know of because thanks to the Internet and I've I've gone back and I've researched this or I watched that just being such a fan of wrestling, but that is actually something that I've never come across is Hogan coming out to hire the tiger. I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah. I'm, I'll try to find it for you. Funny that you mentioned that on Wikipedia because like, ten, you know, 10 years ago before WWE network really started and, and the Monday night wars sort of became interesting again. And before I, I, you know, came back to, uh, to TNA, you know, David Penzer was, a. uh, was 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 a you know a, a afterthought of what you know WCW ring announcer and and he never you know did anything after that. So my my son was a uh, was going to high school, teenage, playing football and stuff, and so a whole bunch of his friends came over one day and. He was like, oh, my, my dad used to be in the wrestling business. And they're like, oh, cool. What do you, you know, David Penzer? Yeah, what do you do? Ring announcer WCW? They're like, never, I, I, I never heard of it. <laughs> like, but he has a Wikipedia page. And they all got, went on their cell phones and looked. That's the coolest thing. Your dad has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> I could care less that I was in the ring with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. But the fact that I had a Wikipedia page when they were 16, they thought was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. So. How do you um, how did they I, I know the whole black machismo came from Kevin Nash and, and a reality type thing that he did. How, how did it really happen? I'm assuming and I could be wrong, but I'm assuming you're doing impressions in the back to entertain the talent. And somebody uh, probably Kevin, somebody said oh, we should have him do this, you know, on television because it's entertaining. Am I correct? hundred percent. That's exactly how it happened. Uh, I would this macho man, the the. Just being a fan of his, I've I've always, as long as I can remember, been able to do a, a pretty good one, you know. Um, so it it's just it was something that I did all the time in the locker room, and I I remember doing it several times, and Kevin was not in the room. But then the first time Kevin Nash heard me do it, he I found out that he had a pretty good Macho Man as well. So uh, it's something we would go back and forth with, and then finally he said, yeah. I don't know why you're not doing that on TV. It's, it's, um, it's, I mean, that's money. And uh, <laughs> instantly, uh, so, you know, every, well, I'm not going to say every, but most wrestlers, they want to be the badass. They want to be the world champion. They want to be the top spot person. Um, and I knew that, well, I thought anyway, that uh, there was no way that was going to happen if I played a character where I pretend to be the macho man. Um, plus, I love the Macho Man. I didn't want this to be a funny, like I'm making fun of him. Um, and I said those the exact thing to Kevin Nash. And he said, well, first of all, there's a spot in wrestling for everybody. There, not everybody can have that top, uh, you know, world champion spot. As soon as you re realize that, the sooner you'll have more fun in this business and not trying to, you know, don't worry. That, that stuff will come. And he's also... Uh, it's not you making fun of him. If, if anything, who's talking about the Macho Man right now? Sure. Nobody. If anything, you'd be helping him. You'd be getting his name out there more because of this. But he had a Wikipedia page. But he had a Wikipedia page, right. And after Kevin explained it to me like that, then I was all gung-ho about it. And then he told Jeff Jarrett about it. And then, uh, man, one time I showed up and they brought me into the soundstage to do a bunch of uh, clips over the, you know, 
the voiceovers for my entrance music and but yeah it was all kevin nash's idea really i figured as much he's uh actually one of the most entertaining people if you ever get to and, and i know you've gotten to sit there and talk to him a lot but he is the funniest person i know and sadly i cannot i absolutely cannot tell you the first joke he's ever told me because the first time i met him um you know i'm i'm a little starstruck and i'm you know happy to man i can't believe i'm meeting him and he offered to give me and alex shelley a ride back to the hotel because alex shelley had already known him because they were doing the paparazzi thing right got there and uh just this the jokes that flowed in that car obviously man i wish i could tell them but i can't because they're <laughs> jokes, but, uh, he is legit without a doubt in the history of my life, uh, the funniest human being that I have ever met. Um, and I believe he is the funniest person that I will ever meet. He's up there. I would say Bobby Heenan is up there. And Arn Anderson, when when he was on fire, healing on somebody, uh, was was up there as well. But um, but yeah, those those are the top my top three for sure. Um, but but yeah, that's funny. I, I asked Kevin. Uh, I think I saw him in when I was there for uh, WrestleMania weekend in New York City. And I that's the last time I think I saw him. And I said, hey, I have this podcast. Why don't you come on and do it? You know, you're hilarious. And he says, not interested. I said, come on. I said, come on, Kev. You're like the funniest guy in the business. He goes, you don't get it, Penzer. You know me. If I'm not interested, I won't be funny. I'll be boring. <laughs> And I said, I looked at Kevin and I said, you're exactly right. You're uninvited. I, I could pimp up for the re- the entire year that Kevin Nash will come on city ringside and entertain the hell out of you. And you'll see what, you know, the fans will get to hear what, what, what I've heard and you've heard. And, and so many people in this business have heard uh, how funny he is, but if he's not into it, he, he, he has no interest. I booked him to do a, uh, I booked him to do a legends of wrestling uh, interview at about eight in the morning for drive time for a Legends of Wrestling show, he said, "Penzer, I don't want to do it." I said, "I need you to do it, Kevin." Uh, and he said, "All right, but I promise you, it's going to be bad." I said, "Oh, I just need you to do it." He literally woke up like when they called him. I, I listened to it later, that and 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 the interview lasted about forty-five seconds because they they pretty much hung up on him when they realized that he had just woken up and and oh, and was was you know because he did it, he wasn't into it. And if he's, you know, if he's into something, he'll put everything he has behind it. And if he's not into it, he's not, you know, it's just God bless him. Right. Hey, um, the best. you got to not only did you get to do the black machismo and, and live part of your dream, but uh, you helped so- SoCal Val live her dream. Because I remember when I met her before she did this, she said, I, I said, are you a wrestler? She goes, I always wanted to be Miss Elizabeth. No way. Oh, you didn't know that? I that no, I never heard that story. Oh yeah, yeah. I said uh, when we first started talking because you know she was out there cheerleading for me, getting the ring jackets, and so we would talk. And she's sweet. She's been on the podcast about a year ago, two years ago, and um, and and yeah, I I, I said, are you a wrestler? And she's like, well, not really. I'm a manager. And I'm like, uh, you know, okay, you know, who do you manage? And she goes, and she just looked at me at one point and said, you know what? I always wanted to be Miss Elizabeth. So. That so you got to you got her she got to live her dream by being your Miss Elizabeth wow. for a little while. I, I I can't say enough great things about SoCal Val. Uh, that if if you told me I could only go back and constantly like Groundhog's Day relive um, one day or one moment in time, it would be working with my best friend Sanjay Dutt, 
uh, and SoCal Val. That was not only the most fun I've ever had, because also Kevin Nash was mixed in there a little bit too. Um, but I got to work with two, not only two of my great friends, but the kindest people. I mean, they're, they're, I just can't explain it enough. They're two of the most amazing people that I've ever met, and I would work with them or do anything for those two. Um, yeah, that was really a real special time for me. Yeah, and and I think it was one of the. It was when TNA really was that was really operating on all cylinders. Um, you, you obviously we know you do Randy Savage. You know, I always wanted to do impressions, and I can't. I can't even do a Dusty Rhodes impression, and everybody does a Dusty Rhodes impression. Um, uh, we know you do Ric Flair. We just heard a little bit of uh, Nash in there. Uh, anybody else that 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 maybe most people don't do? You know, everybody does Dusty, but anybody anybody else that you do that we haven't heard yet? Nope, I'm awful at impressions. I, I really got, I got an okay Jimmy Hart, but I need a megaphone. <laughs> um, and I really feel like the it's the megaphone helping me sound like him and less and not so myself. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I am I, I didn't even know <clears throat> I didn't even know that I could do the Ric Flair impression. In fact, uh, when we went to Impact Wrestling, we went to the UK, there was an off day. I had a few drinks and then in the morning, everyone's like giving me the four horsemen sign and and Earl Hebner won't stop wooing in my face. Um, so I like it was not even a thing that I knew that I could do or was inside of me. So uh, for years, I've always made the joke. Well, if, if we have if I have a little too much to drink, I'll find out who the next impression uh, that I can do. <laughs> well, we need to get we need to get you drinking then. <laughs> we live in the same town. We'll have to we'll have to hook up. Drinks on me. We have. Um, we have to. It'll be a hell of a story, and we'll find out who the next impression is. Hey, um, so so talk, talk, you know, let's get to the the not the reason why you're here, but the reason why I pursued you so much. The 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 Ric Flair segment on on TNA Wrestling. Um, how did you find out you were going to do that? Obviously, we just got the backstory. You got buzzed in the UK, and and everybody heard you could do a Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, and that, did, went on, that went on after that night in the UK. Me doing the Ric Flair impression probably went on for a good three months. In fact, maybe four months. In fact, every time that I saw Earl Hebner, we stopped saying hello to each other. <laughs> our, our hello would be wooing and strutting. It was no more hello. It was... This real weird thing. We wouldn't even shake hands or like the second we saw each other, hello became wooing and strutting. And oh, man. Uh, so maybe about around somewhere around the fourth or fifth month, I see Earl Hebner and I start wooing and strutting and he doesn't do it. So I figured, oh, man, what's wrong with Earl? He must be down about something. So I go, hey, you OK? And he goes, you'll never believe who is coming. And I go, <laughs> I go, ooh, tell me. And then he starts doing the strutting, and uh, and he tells me Flair, he heard that Flair is coming soon. Um, and when he said Flair is coming soon, I kind of didn't believe him. And then, because he wasn't coming right away, so then next time I saw Earl Hebner, he said, yeah, I heard Flair is coming, blah, blah, blah. Then there's whispers floating around the locker room. And I swear, Pinzer, me being a wrestling fan, all I could think of was the skits that they had of... <laughs> Bobby Heenan going around the WWE headquarters telling everybody Ric Flair is coming, straighten up. Or I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. During the whole lead up to him coming there for weeks, 
Bobby Heenan would be going around making sure that everything was perfect. So I, I kind of felt like I was living that for real, like every week or, or every time I see him, because we we're there every two weeks filming. They're like, oh, he's coming, blah, blah. So um, uh, then fear started to set in because I knew that because I had this impression, oh, they were going to make me do it for him or someone would <laughs> tell him and then I'm going to be all embarrassed. So I was not looking forward to that, to be honest, because I was so nervous. But I'd like to think that I knocked it out of the park. Because, oh, so you, but when, you, he, when he did show up, let me tell you this. One, yeah, he, I was going to ask you what, how that progressed. When he, when he did show up, I tried to hide in the locker room. For, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to hide in the locker room. And what I was trying to do was I was trying to wait for a moment where he was alone and I could introduce myself then. That way I w it wouldn't become this big thing. But he was never. He's there never was, alone. He's <laughs> never alone. Never. Oh, man, it was awful. And when I finally got to him, I'm like, oh, look, he's in a crowd of people, but he's kind of off to the side talking. So maybe I'll make my move then. So I kind of squeezed past the crowd, hoping no one recognized me, because if they see me, they're going to make it into a big deal. So when I had gotten all the way to him, I stick my hand out and I say, oh, uh, Rick Flair is Jay Lethal. My name is Jay Lethal. Jamar, nice to meet you. And with my hand out, then it kind of seemed like everybody was looking. They had realized I was there. And he didn't even shake my hand. He looked down at my hand. Then he looked back up at me and he goes, let me hear it. <laughs> so, uh, he, <laughs> he had already known. They, someone had already told him. Um, so I break out into uh, the promo that he cut when he slid the chair underneath the Undertaker to Tombstone Hogan onto the chair where Undertaker won the world title. Um, so, yeah, and he, he absolutely loved it and loved me ever since. And, you know, he would call me sometimes and like, oh, I'm here with my buddies. They want to hear you do the Macho <laughs> Man. They want to hear you do the Ric Flair. And the wildest thing about him calling me, Penzer, is uh, I have his phone number. And uh, I was just talking to Gary Juster about this. I, we, I have his phone number, but every time he calls me, it's from a blocked number, which is weird. I, I've texted him before, and I've called him, but every time he calls me, it shows up as a blocked number. But I have his phone number. It's so weird. That's strange. I, I used to have his phone number for the longest time, and then I my cell phone – I lost all my numbers in my cell phone about a year and a half ago. So, uh, but luckily I was able to get yours so I could uh, uh, pursue you for this podcast. And it's, it's, it's been worth every second of the pursuit. So, so well, you find, I, I can't give you his number, unfortunately. No, no, no. I actually, if that's what you're hinting at. No, 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 no. <laughs> if, actually, I have Wendy's numbers, which is probably the better number to have. <laughs> right, right, right. If you want, if you want an answer on something. So, um, so anyway, so uh, so you do Ric Flair for Ric Flair and, you know, you're nervous. He he pops. Uh, how long after that did they tell you or did you find out that you're doing this segment where you're going to do this in front of a crowd and, and eventually to be on uh, international television? Oh, the very next show. <laughs> so they didn't waste any time. No, zero time. But I, I had heard through the grapevine that it was because Flair told them that he wanted to work with me. Um, so yeah, they didn't waste any time. And I remember when I got there, the next show, Russo comes up to me, goes, bro, <laughs> you, we got a segment for you. 
you're going to be doing an in-ring, get this, bro, with Ric Flair. Aren't you excited? I'm, and I'm, I'm so nervous. I'm excited, sure, but I'm, oh, my God, I have to use the bathroom now all of a sudden. But I'm so nervous, you know what I mean? Yes. And then he tells me, here's the thing, bro. You know that every time a wrestler goes to the ring, they have bullet points. They know what they're going to say. You know, sometimes they have the whole promo. But Ric Flair won't let us write anything for him. So we don't know what he's going to say. So therefore, we can't write anything for you, bro. So you're going to have to go to Ric Flair and ask him, what do you guys want to do? And I'm like, oh, okay. So no problem. So I'll just, I mean, this should be easy. So I go into Ric Flair's locker room and I tell him, oh, uh, Russo told me that we, we've, we're going to do something today. We got a promo today. And he goes, yep. Should be good. And I go, okay, well, Russo wanted me to get with you and ask you what what do we want to do? What kind of, like, what are we going to say? And he goes, I don't talk about my promos. I'll see out there. And and just like it was like in a, you know, a movie, like a closing line, when he said, I'll see out there, he kind of tapped me on the shoulder and walked out of the room. I don't know why he walked out because I was actually in his dressing room. <laughs> I was in his dressing room because, you know, the big stars, they got that, they had their own dressing room in that building, you know? Do you remember yeah, that? I, yeah, I dressed in the laundry room. Yeah. <laughs> that was the announcer's dressing room was the laundry room. And for some reason, Cowboy James Storm dressed there too. I don't know why. <laughs> and, and then every once in a while, somebody would come and take their gear out of the dryer and uh, and and take it. But, hey, we oh, had some. The dryer was. Oh, I, I remember that little room. Yeah. yeah we, we had some fun. Me, Don, and, and Mike Tanay had some fun times in the uh, in the laundry. And, and Storm, of course. But uh, uh, So, yeah, going. That was the, the scariest thing I'd ever done in my life. I had no idea what I was going to say. He had no idea. I mean, obviously, he had some semblance of idea, I think. But and I remember standing at the curtain right before I went out to do my Ric Flair uh, for everybody who I remember some people thinking that it was actually Flair's voice. I just moved my lips to the audio track, but it was really me. And I remember I was terrified. Penzer, um, something that helped me, um, which I don't, I didn't thank him enough for, um, right before I'm going out, he can see that I'm nervous. I'm shaking. I don't know what I'm going to do because up until this very point, Impact had never given me a live microphone in front of a live crowd. All of the promos that I had ever did was as the macho man in the in the back. And even if I stumble over a word or two, it didn't really matter because uh, I was just pretending to be the macho man. Uh, so actually, Simon Diamond, who was your Pat Kenny, came up yeah. to me and he goes, was, are you OK? I go, oh, I'm so nervous. He goes, what? He goes, you, you, you got to relax. And the one thing you got to realize is. Um, and this should help you. You are only going to the ring to do this because of what you've been doing in the locker room. This has been this has been written for you to excel because it's something that you've been doing in the locker room already. So when you go out there, don't try to do anything that you haven't been doing in the locker room. Just pretend you're in the back trying to make us laugh because you've been doing such a great job at that. And that kind of helped calm me down because. Because he was exactly right. I was in that spot because of something I was doing in the locker room. So there was no reason to change it or, or to be too nervous because I was I should have been already used to doing it. It's just, you know, the fear of live TV and you're in front of the crowd. So and then, of course, you're going going to be going back and forth with the master of promos, Ric Flair. So um, but, yeah, that's how that all worked out. If it weren't for Pat Kenny, I probably would have 
passed out right before the they hit the music. Well, by judging by by the fact that I probably watched it twenty times this year already in the pandemic, it's even more much watch TV. I pretty much know the whole thing by heart. But um, <laughs> we we had Kazarian, Frankie Kazarian, on the podcast. Um, he actually said that he had to like start pinching his hand uh so that he didn't laugh. Uh, when, when did you know that when, when did, was there ever a time that you knew, holy crap, this is going really, really good. Um, well, the, the time where, cause Aaron was in the ring, well, that was actually the, that was actually the second time that I had done it. That wasn't the very first time, but so the, by the time the second one happened, that's when I was like, oh, wow, I, I think this is going really well. That very first one, I had no idea um, I, I just, I was like, this is bombing. This is not going well. I remember my hands were numb. That's how nervous I was. Something happened. My hands started tingling and then I couldn't feel my hands anymore. So it wasn't until we got into the locker room to where people were like standing up and applauding, uh, Flair and I, uh, I like to think mostly they were applauding him, but, uh, that that's the only time where I thought, wow, this is actually going pretty good. So uh, just, just so we're clear, yeah. So the one that I watch all the time that I've referred to as the greatest segment in the TNA off. history. The woo-off. Off. That yeah. was the second one? That was the second one. That was not the first one. Oh, uh-huh. I got to go. Now I got to go look for the first one. The, the first one's not that good. The, the woo-off is is where the money is. And I remember, um, I remember thinking Flair is so good and, like, I there's no, like, there's no line I could say that would get him. Um, because you know, he's just so used to, but then after I remember there was this one promo that flair cut on this guy froggy. Um, and he told him that jumping on was a lot easier than everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon. But the thing you got to remember is jumping on is a lot easier than jumping off. And I remember that line so clearly in my head. And I, like I said, there was no written thing. There was no way to know what was going to be said and i out of nowhere that line had popped into my head and when i said it uh that was the first and only time that i realized that i myself even popped and caught rick flair off guard just in his eyes and all he could say was wow yeah (laughs) that's that's funny because it's funny that you brought that up because that to me is the highlight because that's when i knew and every time i watch it that's when i know because i know the people involved that Ric Flair was popping because you took yes. that out of uh, you took that out of uh, an old promo that I probably yes. hadn't thought about. Yeah. And, and you nailed it. And you're right. He said, wow. And um, he was smiling. And, and then I think he threw his shoe at you or something. Yeah. But and then he said, that's my line. And then that's my line. back and forth. That's my line. That's my line. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm reconsidering. This may be the greatest segment in professional wrestling history. But uh, I just I'm just lucky and fortunate enough that I was a part of it. Like I said, uh, man, I really feel like I won the lottery. I was in the right place at the right time. Obviously, when it came time to wrestle, I've, I've had the skill to back up or to get me through whatever situation I've been put in. But a lot of my career, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit, I don't think would have happened if I wasn't lucky enough and fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, and it's, it's just been one heck of a ride. If that wasn't me, it would have been someone else. I really feel like uh, there's always somebody better. There's always someone faster and better at promos. Or, But at that point in time, I got to do it. So I made history. So 
I'm, I, 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 man, this has been one crazy wrestling experience, and I'm just so thankful. Yeah. Uh, I bet, friend, and it's been entertaining as hell for us. Uh, so you live, you leave TNA uh, at, at some point. Uh, was that a mutual decision? Was that their decision? How did that happen? Well, um, before, we, okay, so I'll say this. So I, at, while at Impact Wrestling, I had learned um, and gotten to be in the ring with guys like Alex Shelley. You know, they got guys from all over the world. We had those World Cups sure. where we had guys from Japan and Mexico. So not only am I perfecting and getting better at wrestling i am the black machismo and i'm cutting these promos where now i have to forget about looking silly or sounding silly which is a big thing with a wrestler no one wants to be laughed at or silly or sound stupid um but when you can get over that and get over yourself um then you can really break out of your shell so i got to do that with the rick uh, with the machismo character then i got to master promos by going back and forth with the master promos, Ric Flair, I got to work with Kevin Nash. I mean, I've gotten to work with so many people to, and just help become the, the wrestler that I am today. So, um, and then as I was gonna say, as luck would have it, but after, kind of after and kind of during the Ric Flair thing, I'm kind of feuding with him and he develops this group, um, which Fortune. I think is called Fortune, Fortune. yeah, Ric Flair and like you said, uh, Frankie Kazarian was in it, and there was a rival group created at the time run by Tommy Dreamer, which I actually was not a part of that group. There was one or two segments where they helped, they used me because I was kind of going back and forth with Ric Flair, but they never really put me in that group against Flair's group, which I, I never understood why. Um, and I remember uh, Vince Russo telling me, okay, your Flair thing is pretty much done. And when you know you when you were on TV doing the flare stuff, I had to sit a bunch of other people from the exhibition. I had to sit them home. So it's just like a rotation thing, you know. So now we're gonna sit you down and let some other people get some shine, you know. And I said, okay, I can't be mad at that. So after he said that, um, a few weeks later, while sitting home, not in the rotation, um, I got a call from Terry Taylor. And I actually wrote about this one because um, Terry Taylor, whenever he was a talent relations, you know, whenever Terry Taylor would call me about. I'm not calling to fire you. He would always say this is the, I'm not kidding. And I I've not, I've told this story about my firing before. He would always call me. And the, the way the conversation would start every single time is I'd go, hello. He'd go, Jay Lethal. I'd say, Terry Taylor. He'd go, you're fired. Oh, I, oh, that was a, that was a variation. No, yeah, and I would laugh, and then we'd go in, we'd talk about whatever he wanted. Um, and you know, kudos to Terry Taylor, and I commend him so much. And you know, a lot of people would think this was cruel, but I actually respected it and I loved it. The fact that he didn't change anything up when when I was getting let go, he called me. He said, "I said hello." He said, "Jay Lethal." I said, "Terry Taylor." He goes, "You're fired." And I start laughing, and I say, "I'm out." I'm about to go to a baseball game right now. What What's up? And he goes, well, I'm sorry, but um, I'm not joking this time. We're, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, didn't want to make this phone call, but I, I'm so sorry. I have, we're, we're letting you go. We're letting you out of your contract early. And I go, wait, what? So yeah, he, he legit started the conversation the same as we always do, which is Jay lethal. You're fired. Um, and for the life of me till this day, I still can't, I don't understand what happened. I was still 
feuding with Ric Flair. So I uh, maybe I I don't know. But uh, when one door closes, another one opens. I really feel like all those things that I mentioned before, getting to work with those guys and perfect my promos and breaking out of my shell helped prepare me for what was about to come, which was being the face of Ring of Honor Wrestling. So I remember hanging up the phone with Terry Taylor. I called my best friend Sanjay, um, you know, so nervous with tears in my eyes. This was the first time I ever got let go from somewhere. I bought a house. What am I to do? And he calmed me down because a year prior, he had gotten let go from Impact Wrestling. And he said, it's not the end of the world. So I remember calling Terry Taylor back for another explanation of what just happened um, because I was kind of drawing a blank. And then uh, I had a few talks with Ring of Honor. And there was I really had no downtime in between getting let go from Impact Wrestling and uh, signing with Ring of Honor because, as luck would have it, Maybe two months later, they had been purchased by Sinclair Broadcasting. So it was really the perfect timing for me. I, uh, like I said, I went. I really won that lottery. It's being in the right place, at the right time. My career is that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory golden ticket. Um, so then I, I went and really started with Ring of Honor, and everything that had, I'd gotten to do prepared me to climb the ranks and become. Not only just the world champion, but the double. I was a double champion um, and the face of the company. And yeah, I just, I, I, I couldn't be more happy where I am and more thankful for the ride and the journey all the way to here. So the last time I saw you in person, uh, the, it was the night before, the day before you were headlining a sold-out Madison Square Garden Ring of Honor show. I believe it's the only sold-out wrestling show ever promoted by a company that didn't have WW or WWW in the in the the, the name. And um, so t- talk to me about that. Had you ever gone – you talked about growing up as a kid in that area. Had you ever gone to Madison Square Garden as a youngster to, to watch wrestling? I had never, ever, ever been to Madison Square Garden before that. I mean, inside – uh, of being from New Jersey, took the train. I was underneath Madison Square Garden, walked past it so many times, seeing the big marquees. I was in and out of New York quite often, but I never was never inside Madison Square Garden, especially for wrestling, because my parents had six kids, okay. uh, and you couldn't just take one. If sure. you took one, you had to take them all, and there was just not enough money to do that. Um, so unfortunately, I my first time inside of Madison Square Garden, uh, as luck would have it, would be co-main eventing, um, which is a wild thought. Uh, oh, just I remember when I was um, in Madison Square Garden the, the couple days before. You know, we were doing all those interviews, and I that's when I saw you. All I could think about was being in class write all those essays about wrestling and playing with my action figures and every chance that I get wanting to be taken to Kmart and winning that wrestling tournament of uh, that wrestling contest at Jersey all pro wrestling and taking the train into long Island, New York, the two hour train and having to run from class from my eighth period class. Uh, and then the Jersey all pro wrestling school closing down, but then me still being on the shows, but not feeling like I knew much and then sharing the locker room with guys like Homicide and Loki and Jersey All Pro, and then the guys in Ring of Honor, who even though I knew nothing, talked to me as if I was their equal. 
Um, I knew nothing compared to Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, depending on when you met him. Uh, but yet he was talking to me as if like, you know, we're on the same page and we both know the same amount about wrestling and I'm as equal when I, I was clearly not. And all the opportunities given to me and getting into impact wrestling in the very beginning to get squashed by Samoa Joe and then him not, you know, hundred percent crushing me like he should have uh and somehow that leading to me getting a job there and then becoming the black machismo and getting to work with kevin nash and all the imports guys that they would bring in for the world cup tournaments and getting to work with rick flair and then i got let go and then i, I become the world champion at ring of honor um, and, you know, we're running in New York all the time, Hammerstein Ballroom, which is not far from Madison Square Garden. So now as a kid, I saw Madison Square Garden a lot. But now working Ring of Honor, I'm seeing it almost every other month because we're constantly working in New York. And you're like thinking, you know, one day we're going to work in Madison Square Garden and that would be so cool. And what a what a wild what a wild ride. It's unreal. And you know what's uh, one of the coolest parts about, I think, anyway, working in Madison Square Garden was I was able to sweet talk the people and I got the banner. There was an actual banner that hung outside this huge, like 12 foot by, I don't know, 16 banner that was hanging outside of Madison Square Garden. Um, I convinced them to give it to me and they mailed wow. it, which was it's hanging in my school right now. And I remember them saying, you know, when we send this to you, we got to tell you something because you know, sometimes the basketball players or the hockey guys, they do the same thing. They want it. But what you got to remember is this thing is going to stink because it's been outside all that time and the rain and all the weather. And as long as you don't mind that, I said, I don't care what it smells like. I need this thing. Yeah. Um, I said, I'm not putting it in my house. So don't worry. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember trying – there's two things on my bucket list as in the wrestling business that I've met that still are not checked and probably will never be checked. I tried to get one of them checked off because I tried to get Juster to let me do like a dark match for that uh, Madison Square Garden show. Uh, mm -hmm. But it was not meant to be. And um, and then the other one obviously is, is uh, uh, announcing WrestleMania, uh, which I'm never going to do. So, um, But that's fine. But uh, – but, but yeah, I mean, for people that grew up as wrestling fans, you know, wrestling in Madison Square Garden is a pretty big deal. It's a huge deal. I mean, it's the most famous arena in the world. I mean, oh, yeah. And the fact that I got to uh, co-main event it uh, and be in the ring also with um, two great people um, as far as their in-ring abilities go, um, one of which I – become very close with Matt Taven. He just, um, I think he's one of the best wrestlers out there right now. He's the most improved anyway that I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, and I, I just, I'm so thankful that I was able to share that moment with him. Um, but also thinking that, you know, especially for wrestling to be black and be in the main event, um, was definitely something that, um, I couldn't be more proud of as well. Um, so there's so many, there's so many things that make that main event in Madison Square Garden uh, one of the highlights of not only my life, uh, not only my career, but of my life. I'm assuming your family was in the was there. Of course, of course, of yeah. course. They, they, you know, my dad, uh, he has been to more wrestling shows than anyone in my family. And in fact, he was at my very first show. 
Um, my mom didn't want to go because she didn't want to see me get hurt or beat up. But my dad was at my very first show. And then, you know, the very first time at, you know, 2002 when Ring of Honor first offered me a plane ticket because I had to drive a bunch, which is expected, you know. But the very first time they offered me a plane ticket was to Chicago. And my dad said, well, well what about us? And I said, well, they're, dad, they're not going to fly you. <laughs> He said, well, we don't we don't care about flying, but like we want to go. We'll we'll rent. Let's rent a big van and we'll we'll drive. I said, oh, OK. So I remember telling Gabe, who was running Ring of Honor at the time. Yeah, uh, my parents want to really go. And they they said they'll drive. So I don't need the plane ticket. And of course, he was happy. He didn't. Have, there was one less thing he had to purchase. Um, but yeah, like just getting to travel the road with my parents who had been to almost all my shows, and my dad, who was there, the very first Ring of Honor show that I had ever done, um, and the first match I'd ever done, fast forward to his son as the world champion entering into Madison Square Garden. Um, I, I just hope that he was uh, as proud as, as I was happy. I'm sure there were tears in everybody's eyes. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because, uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, things, you know, you, you think about things in the business, you know, when you have your first match, when you when you uh, uh, you win your first title, maybe uh, your an action figure. I was going to ask you about how cool that must have been since you used to go to Kmart and play the action figures. <laughs> but before before I ask you about that. Get, getting your first plane ticket is kind of a big deal because at least it was because for, you know, even for my ring announce ass, you know, I was driving, you know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles just to try to get a break. And and so when somebody actually wants to buy you a plane ticket, it's a pretty big deal. It is. And it's proof that you're doing something right. I remember when I got hired from WCW and they first started flying because we were driving all over. We were driving to Chicago. We were driving to, to St. Louis. We were, and we lived in Florida. And um, and I, I just wasn't going to give up this dream. So, uh, you know, we were just driving different places. And and um, and yeah, when they first said, you know, Gary Jester, of all people, first said, yeah, you're going to you're going to start flying to the towns now. It was like I made it. You know, right. I, right. I, they're yep. buying me a plane ticket. You know, you I'm, really I'm, do. you I'm really do feel like you really do feel like you made it. That's exactly how it feels. Someone yeah. said you are important enough for us to spend this extra money and buy you a ticket so that you don't have to make that long drive. So when I was explaining that I had a ticket to my dad, I was all excited. Yeah, he killed the gimmick, by he the way. Did. <laughs> I understand. God bless him. Why he wanted to be there to support his his son. And, and that's great. That's a wonderful story. But he killed the whole ticket gimmick. I got to say. He did. He did. So so, so young Jay Lethal uh, would, would get good grades and they'd um, they would uh, drive him to Kmart and, and take him to the, the aisle with all the action figures and yep. Yep. and all that. How, how, how cool was it when you finally got your first action figure? It was definitely uh, a bucket list thing for me that I didn't even know existed. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where it happens where you're like, wow, you know what? That should have been on my bucket list. And you know what? I'm going to put it on there and then I'm going to put a check mark next to it because it, it has happened. Um, yeah, the little kid in me, I couldn't have been more excited. And I, I remember when I got it, what I said was, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Which was cool to think. I was like, oh, now I'm, I'm immortalized. I'm going to live forever. I have an action figure. Um, and I have each of them 
here in the house with, that I've, of course, who wouldn't, right? Um, but yeah, I, I, I really think, man, I really made it. I've, I've, if I, something happened and I can't wrestle anymore, or I had to give it up. Um, I would not be disappointed. I wouldn't feel like, oh, there was so much I didn't get to do. I, I would feel so happy and honored that I got to do everything that I've gotten to do. And I, I mean, I got a freaking action figure for crying out loud. I, I'll tell you what a mark I am is I actually got one made. I did. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, there was a guy who um, uh, there was a guy online on Facebook and he would take old uh, figures of old parts of figures and he'd make custom. And it was only like 20 bucks. And he'd he'd do the, 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 the packaging with the WCW logo in the back and the picture of me from my old promo picture. So I was like 20 bucks. Why not? Something that I could put on my my shelf in my office and i'm looking at it right now it looks nothing like me but it's still cool <laughs> when this is when this is when we're done here i'm gonna need a picture uh, uh for sure and, and like i said it looks nothing like me but it was cool it's the best twenty dollars i ever spent um <laughs> hey um that's awesome so right after the whole madison square garden thing uh wrestling landscape changed aew was formed uh any even thoughts of of uh, maybe i should make this move with some of the other guys or were you ring of honor uh all the way uh, i was uh, ring of honor all the way and here's why um maybe a little hard for some people to believe uh everyone at aw um everyone that i heard at the time so we're talking before it was formed at the time everyone that i heard was going they're all my friends and right. i just want to be with my friends um but I do have some friends who weren't going. So it wasn't that everyone was going. And here's a here's the big kicker for me. I can't tell you how much loyalty means to me. Uh, it is something that I pride myself on. Uh, my dad prides himself on it as well. Um, and a lot of my wrestling decisions, I run past him and we talk about it. And you can't, I, loyalty shouldn't be something that can be purchased. Um, and the reason that Ring of Honor has my loyalty is from a very young age, um, when I got into the wrestling business, when, I mean, when I got into Ring of Honor in, in only about a year and a half to two years, they were putting me in the ring with guys like CM Punk, guys like Samoa Joe, teaming with Samoa Joe. I mean, they, they really treated, they from a very early age, they rolled out the red carpet for me. And then when I left at Impact Wrestling, came back with their arms wide open to me um they i've never had to really want for anything um everything that has ever been offered to me storyline wise i i've never even wanted to you know shake a stick at because every it seems that everything that the company has done for me has, has propelled me even higher and higher and to be the face of the company, they gave me the world title and the television title at the same time, and um, they didn't make me take one off. Now, the crazy part about that is, think about the fact that I'd have to defend both belts in two separate matches. Oh, yeah. The same time was unprecedented. In fact, after I did it, the WWE did a very similar thing um with one of the best wrestlers i've ever seen seth rollins so uh like it they've, they've always always gone gone above and beyond for me so i love that place they've made me the face of the company 
Um, and there's something to be said to that. Um, and I'm just extremely loyal to them. And uh, that was a really big decision on why I did not leave. Um, I love Ring of Honor. And if I had my way, I'd stay there forever, put a big Ring of Honor tattoo on, on my back um, because I love the company. I love the people there. I love um, pretty much everybody in the locker room. I mean, and here, here's, here's the thing that weighs heavy on me and my dad as well. As far as the wrestling business, I don't mean to, you know, as far as the wrestling business goes, it's hard to get into that top spot uh, as an African-American wrestler. Um, it's hard to be portrayed as just a good wrestler. Like you, you don't need this weird or funky gimmick um, just to appeal to a certain group of people in order to get your character over uh, in ring of honor. I've always been portrayed and, and you know, impact didn't do that to me either, but I'm just saying uh, with where I am now and the spot that they have given me that top spot doesn't really, it's not a spot that's awarded to many African-Americans. So that also weighs heavily on me too. So I just, I have developed this strong love and loyalty to a company that has gone above and beyond for me. Um, so I can't see myself leaving anytime soon. So, and, and I totally respect that. And, and I, I love, uh, I love loyalty. Uh, there's not enough of it in the world these days. Um, that said, I'd be remiss in asking you, we've talked a lot about bucket list uh, in this conversation. I'm going to wrap it up because you've been very uh, not great with your time. Just have a couple more questions. But um, we talked a lot about bucket list. Would it be fair to say that um, that if the, the career of Jay Lethal ended and you had never wrestled for WWE or had a WrestleMania moment, that that would be okay, that you could you could live with that off of your bucket list? I, I am honestly saying I would not be upset. I would not feel down. I would not feel like I just missed the boat on something. I Like I said, I have an action figure. My dad and I talk about the fact that I have made it. There are people around the world who know my name. Uh, there are people around the world who, if I was there, they would want to get a picture with me. I, I have made it. Um, now, I will say this. It would be cool while I'm still wrestling. Uh, it would be cool at some point to say that I have gotten to work with or for, in some capacity, the company that helped shape my love for professional wrestling. Uh, and that company just so happens to be the WWF or WWE um, so if it happened, sure, it'd be cool. But yeah, I, I would not feel slighted or sad or mad or upset. Um, or I wouldn't feel like I missed something or didn't get to accomplish something if it did not happen. So in March, the world changed and, um, uh, you know, uh, COVID uh, came and, and shut pretty much everything down, including right. uh, live events. Yep. Um, I know that, uh, you know, I've been part of the I've been lucky enough to be part of the impact studio tapings. You know, every every wrestling promotion that's run uh, in, in some form or fashion, you know, has to make choices about if they're going to have fans, if they're going to have, uh, you know, people. You know, I know AEW has uh, wrestlers that aren't on the show. I know WWE now has this Thunderdome. Um, 
I know that you guys just taped uh, for the first time since COVID came, just without giving too much away, because I wouldn't want you to do that. I wouldn't do that if it was impact. But without giving too much away, talk to me about the experience of getting back after after six months of, of, of not being able to go out in front of a crowd and and how it was and, you know, the whole social distancing thing and and, and taping without, you know, an audience. Talk, give me just a, some of your thoughts on that. Well, um, OK. Um so for starters, I'd like to tell you that um, when this all started going down, we had a Zoom call with the wrestlers and the office members um, and the owner of Ring of Honor, Joe Koff, he actually said, um, which was so cool, he actually said, uh, you know, there's some people still doing these empty arena shows, these empty arena matches. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of them, but... The, the kicker to me is I don't really want to put my wrestlers in danger. I don't want to be putting them in these airports and I don't want to be putting my wrestlers in these hotels uh, in such this, such a crazy time, at least until this all gets uh, a little bit better. So I just, I don't want to even entertain the idea of doing those things. Um, what a cool thing to say or to work for someone saying, Without saying it, they're saying I'm willing to. You guys are getting paid, but you're going to stay home because I want you to be safe. Um, instead of you know, let's get into some safe bubble studio so that we can put out some content so that there is some type of money coming in. I thought that was in what an incredible move, and I still think even though we just got home a little bit ago from um, some tapings that we were able to do, and everyone was so fortunate enough to do them and happy and i'll get into that in a second but i i think that the only reason we did that was i think joe realized that there was a lot of guys on the roster who was wanting to do them i think if he thought that there was a bunch of wrestlers not wanting to go out and scared then this would have never happened um in fact he already made it known that he really didn't want it happening because he'd rather us be safe rather be safe than sorry so um i think he felt that we all wanted to do this we there was a lot of a lot of us had said and they even put out a little survey um when they realized that there was people who wanted to go out and wrestle um and more of us wanted to than didn't so i think that's really why these tapings happened um but further to talk about the tapings I am a professional wrestler. It is all I know how to do. It is all I can do. And when you tell me that I can't do it, um, I just, I'm lost. Um, and partly is part of that fault is mine. I have, I have no real backup plan. I didn't, you know, so to me, I put all my eggs in that wrestling basket that may be silly or it may be smart to some people, but I just could not wait along with everyone else who in the same boat as I am. Uh, we just could not wait to get back into the ring and do what we do best, which is wrestling. Of course, there was a lot of guidelines. I mean, we had this ring up on our bubble. We had to get tested before we go. We had to get tested once we got there. We had to stay quarantined. And with representatives walking around where you couldn't leave your room, you couldn't do this until you got your other test results back. And then you wow. were shuttled to this building, but only this many people could be in the locker room and you got to have your mask on. Um, I don't know if all of the guidelines that we had to go through uh, and follow will be 
put out there for the public, but it was a lot. Um, but we all got through it because ultimately it was something that we feel as wrestlers, we feel it needed to be done so we can put some content out there and we can get back to doing what we love and the world just hopefully gets back to normal soon. But I can't tell you how excited and how great it felt after five and a half months of not wrestling or being um, in the ring. I luckily have a wrestling school here, so I could still get in the ring, but there's a lot of guys on our roster who don't have access to a ring. So them coming back was their, like they hadn't been in the ring in like five, six months, uh, which was pretty brutal for some of them. But we made it through and we wouldn't have traded it for the world. We hope it gets to happen again because, like I said, we're wrestlers and we just want to be in the ring. But we got great management looking out for us uh, as well. So I thought that was cool. Well, I look forward to watching those shows when they come out. I, I will tell you that uh, the times that I've gotten to go to Nashville are pretty much the only times I've felt a sense of normalcy in my life since March. So it yeah. really, it really, you know, again, we, we do all the precautions, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the checks and the, the masks and the social distancing and, and all that. And, but, but it's really the only sense of normalcy that I felt in, in a long time. So I, I actually look forward to them. And I uh, can't wait to go back. And um, I bet that most of you guys probably feel the same way. Uh, yeah. I can't, can't wait to get back in front of a live audience, but I think that's going to be a longer conversation, unfortunately. Just not nowhere around that. Well, I did see that, uh, what, AEW, they are allowed some fans. Did you see that? Yeah. Five, 500 fans in a 12,000-seat outdoor building, and everybody, nobody could be in the Section 100 down there. So they basically have a way, way more than six foot. It's like a 60-foot buffer between the, the, the talent and the fans. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're lucky that they have the opportunity to – that they own that building and and that they have the opportunity to use that building and 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 they're doing you know great stuff with it and, right, right. and you know WWE's trying this Thunderdome thing which is interesting sort of like the NBA is doing and and some other um, sports so you know but baseball has no fans and uh, uh, the Rays keep losing pitchers but uh, other other than that. Uh, <laughs> I think we have the best pitching roster on injured reserve in, in Major League Baseball. But uh, anyway, but anyway, not to not to bring everybody down. Last thing I want to ask you before I give you a chance to promote your school. Um, I, I, I love talking to uh, people who have gotten to be on Family Feud. It's one of the it's one of the things that everybody always, whether they're having a good day or a bad day, always smiles about when they think about that experience, whether they made fools, they think they made fools of themselves or, or, or Steve Harvey went off on a, a, you know, 15 minute diatribe that gets edited out of the show, which I would love to see that I've heard a lot about. Talk to me about your experiences getting to do family feud. Uh, okay. So, uh, what I remember most about it is uh, AJ Styles he wanted to be on it. He loves that show, but he couldn't be on it because he was, uh, I, I can't remember where he was. I, I think this was actually taped while impact was on the road and we were not on there. I mean, I can't remember the scenario, but AJ wasn't in town and he was so mad. And for some reason, I guess I was the closest one with him out of everyone who went. And he maybe for 10 minutes told me how I better do good. And, <laughs> that that show is great, and he wishes he could be on it. And don't make us look bad. And um, so, of course, uh, once I got on it, um, I had watched it a bunch, but I've watched it all my life. It's I was like, oh, I can't wait! To, this is going to be awesome. 
and at home you play it at home and you're like you know all the answers but yeah. something happens yep something happens when you get there and when the cameras are rolling you can't see the time limit uh, the timer which is always on the screen but you can't see it the, you, like the, the pressure Oh man, it's like night and day. I feel like I was one of the worst players. Um, there was three separate times I gave an answer, and Steve Harvey stopped the show <laughs> and went into this fifteen-minute comedy bit, just burying me and about the horrible answer that I gave. And it was classic. I, I wish I could have that footage. But there was at least three separate times he did that, and I really feel like, um, I really feel like I, <laughs> I didn't look too good on that show. But um, I, I loved it. I, I took the name tag that they gave me, and it's on the shelf here at home. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, just that was a really cool experience being on that show. But it's much harder when you're actually there. And what a cool guy Steve Harvey was. Um, after each, we taped five episodes. After each episode, you have to go back to your dressing room, your locker room, I mean, and he would come into our locker room and talk wrestling with us. It was it was amazing. It, what an amazing experience that was. But yeah, yeah. I'm my, great. When you go there, you're not so great. He's on my list of uh, uh, people, short list of people I want to have a cocktail with. But uh, And he's so cool, too. I remember... Uh, on like the third episode, he had, I said something on the third episode and he went into this comedy bit. He stopped the show. And at the end of the comedy bit, he was letting the the fans there ask him questions before we restarted the show. Oh, wow. One, one guy I remember asked, well, where do you get your suits from? They're, you always look so cool. And Steve Harvey told him where he got his suits from. And then he had someone go into the crowd and get the guy's information and sent him like five suits. Wow. I thought that was so cool, man. He's such, he's what a nice guy. What a nice guy. Yeah. You were doing it for charity. And so Mark in the audience got five suits. Go <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. So um, if you're in the Tampa Bay area uh, or if you like to come to this area for the lovely, um, 90 degree weather with 100 degree um, uh, humidity that we have right now. Uh, tell people how they could get in touch with you to learn more about your uh, Lethal Academy. Well, um, you know, this is the day and age of social media. So everybody's got a Twitter and a Facebook and a MySpace and a everything. So even my parents have one. No, they don't. Uh, but mine is all under the Lethal J and everything is spelled out. T-H-E-L-E-T-H-A-L-J-A-Y. That's thelethalj.com. That's thelethalj is my Twitter handle. It's my Instagram handle. It's everything, thelethalj. Um, so if, for the training school, you'd go to lethalj.com, and under, there's a training tab where you can get more information about that. Everything I got, Fender, is under the Lethal J, and there's an interesting story about that. Um, I got to work with and wrestle with Chris Candido, and I remember the first time I ever met him, I come into the locker room. It was at a show put on by a company called USA Pro in New York. Um, and when Is I that came, Larry Goodman, that's Frank Goodman. Yeah, Frank Goodman. All right. Yes. Great guy. Uh, when I came into the locker room, Chris Candido was there. I had never met him before, ever. And as I got close enough to say hello, he turns to me and he goes, ah, it's the Lethal J. 
And I'm like, I, I can't even believe that he even knows who I am. That's crazy. So then as luck would have it, he would be booked on some Jersey All Pro shows where I would meet him again. Um, just all over, back to USA Pro, more Jersey All Pro. And every time I would see him, he, he would always go, ah, it's the legal J. And then we'd go into whatever conversation. So uh, when he passed away, it was it was a pretty tough moment for me so at that point in time i everything that i had i just wrote the lethal j on because that was how he um would call me and so everything i have is the lethal j so that's where that comes from ah it's the lethal j <laughs> <laughs> gotta love this business hey man i gotta tell you as as frustrated as it, as it was at times trying to get you on this podcast the wait has been worth every minute and uh, this has been entertaining uh, for me, so I can't even imagine the fans that get to listen at home. And I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and uh, look forward to seeing the new Ring of Honor stuff. And uh, hopefully we catch up. I could uh, I could get you loaded and we could find out who your next impression is. <laughs> well, I got to thank you, too. After about two years of asking and not getting a response, I'm, I'm thankful that you didn't just, you know, give up or, you know, have some. Oh, that Jay Lethal, he's an awful person. I asked him to be on my podcast, and he just never responded. At least give me a no. Uh, I, I thank you for not uh, being too upset at me and understanding. And uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and this has been awesome. Thank you for letting me. My pleasure. Me. Now I have to I have to find you, Aya the Tiger, Hulk Hogan entrance. I got to follow up on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And tonight after I have a vodka or two, I am going to uh, – watch that segment again now that I know everything I do uh, that you've uh, been generous with your inside behind the scenes info. I can't wait to watch it again. And um, <laughs> definitely the greatest segment in TNA history. I'm not saying that to blow smoke. If you never did my podcast, I'd still say that to whoever asked. So, um, and, uh, and I think DW Don West agrees with me. We've talked about it. So, um, so can't have a bigger fan than Don West. Jay, best, best, I just I just want to give you one more one more little story. Uh, sure. It, uh, my when you when you ask, oh, uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that you got to wrestle Ric Flair every time? And I, I never explain this story just because I hold it in my head because it's not to be uh, put out there. I don't think anyway. But every time I'm that Ric Flair is brought up, my go-to memory of working with Ric Flair. My go-to memory, it's the first thing that pops into my head, Penzer, is, uh, you know, it's not the promo that I had with him. The promo led to two to three matches that I had with him. One was on pay-per-view, but one was on Impact. It was a street fight with garbage can lids, and he was bleeding maybe two minutes into the match, and um, he had me rip his clothes off, and... At the end of the match, he had only one sock on, and it was like not I remember. on. It was like floppy. Half the sock was hanging off his foot, and one sock was completely gone. And I remember when we got into the locker room, um, everyone stands up, and they're applauding, um, which is cool because he's Ric Flair. Um, but with one floppy sock and blood <laughs> pouring down from his head and the entire gorilla position – uh, standing, giving him an ovation. Uh, he gives three pelvic thrusts and woo after each of them. Woo, woo, woo. And I, whenever I think of Ric Flair, that is the instant thing I think of working with him. Because um, I was standing right behind him because we had just hugged because we just wrestled. And 
Um, that's that's my go-to uh, vision of Ric Flair. Bloody, in his underwear, one sock <laughs> flopping off, and him pelvic thrusting while wooing. And that's Ric Flair. And there you go. That, that's, that's, that's Ric Flair in a nutshell. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. I've seen. Hey, I've seen. I've seen worse than that in a hotel lobby. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, on that note, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Want to thank Jay Lethal again. Can't say it enough. Uh, was you know some things are worth the wait, some things aren't. That was definitely worth the wait. Great stuff. Uh, a lot of ton inside stories and. Um, and and it just makes that that flair segment that I that I am so passionate about and love so much even more interesting and entertaining. I even got homework out of it, so I have to let you know how the, how I did with the homework. Um, guys, this is uh, why we do this: to listen to two old friends have a conversation about uh, their career. And um, if you like what you hear, uh, be sure to uh, subscribe. Be sure to leave a review if you can. Spread the word. Tell your friends and family. Uh, tell, tell Twitter. You can follow me at Twitter at David Penzer, all one word at David Penzer, all one word. And um, uh, just so thankful to Jay Lethal for stopping by and uh, giving us 90 minutes almost of his uh, of his life and uh, and telling his life story. Such a super cool story. And uh, and I wish him nothing but the best moving forward. And we might even find out what that next impersonation is. You, you know me. I'm a pretty stubborn guy. So I'm might get him out there for that drink or two. But ladies and gentlemen, we will be back next week with another great guest. But until next time, I'm David Penzer, still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.